Merry Christmas, Christ Church. It's so good to see you in the house of the Lord on this special day of Festival of Carols. And I just have to be honest with you, I feel alive from my toes to my fingertips after that beautiful music. Can y'all just wave your fingertips at me? We're just so grateful. Choir and orchestra, we're here to praise the Lord, but I want to thank you this morning for bringing heaven's music home to us today. We're so, so grateful for all that you do and for particularly this season of the year. And I think the beautiful music is a great prelude to our message this morning. It's going to be a little bit briefer but I hope that you will be touched in your heart. I want to talk with you about the gift of awe before a holy God. Awe can be defined as a feeling of reverential respect that's mixed with fear or wonder. One writer says awe is an experience of transcendence or amazement in the face of something greater than self. I love what Richard Beck says when he talks about all experiences. He defines those as moments when we sense something there, something more than what our regular senses reveal to us. All of us have those moments in life, if we pay attention, where something happens to us that is more real, more loving, more sacred, more holy than any other time that our senses can reveal something to us. These moments are spine-tingling, breathtaking, jaw-dropping awe experiences. And they transform us. We all come this morning with what you could call tales of woe. We've got our stories of defeat and our stories of distress and sorrow, but thanks be to God, through His Son Jesus Christ, He has the power and the desire to transform our tales of woe into stories of wow. Think about it. Woe equals awful. Has anybody ever had an awful experience in your life? Just like, boy, I hope that never happens again. But I want you to think about wow experiences. I know you've had some of those too. Those are all full. They're packed with awe. There are many images in creation that we see all the time that we don't pay that much attention to. In 1990, uh, the Hubble telescope was invented and it was placed in space to monitor the universe 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And then later came the James Webb telescope that gives us the greatest infrared technology that we could possibly imagine. And we see some pictures from outer space that sort of put the wow back in our woe. So I wanted to give you a few pictures. The first is the Webb Deep Field, which reveals thousands of galaxies in an area of the sky the size of a grain of rice held at arm's length. And you'll see all of those light lighted spots there, those lit spots. Each one of those contains hundreds of billions of stars. Then we move on to picture two, the Phantom Galaxy. This will be a wow picture for you. This is another galaxy, a lot like our own Milky Way galaxy, but this is a swirl of stars of some 32 million light years away that includes over 100 
billion stars. Somebody say, wow, just to help me out a little. And number three, the picture, the pillars of creation, towering tendrils of cosmic dust and gas are part of what is called the Eagle Nebula. It's an active star-forming region about 6,000 light years away. Let me summarize those three pictures from the words of Scripture. Psalm 19.1, the heavens declare the glory of the Lord. Amen? The poet Gerard Manley Hopkins says the world is charged with the grandeur of God. It will flame out. The glory of the Lord cannot be hidden. The power, the greatness of God, the goodness of God, it will shine. And we will have those experiences even in our own lives where we know that something's happening. There's something there that goes beyond the normal. There's something more happening, something more real and more alive and more loving and more holy than usual. I like to say that in those moments, we are brushed by the glory of God. He just reaches over and brushes us with his glory. There are other illustrations of this. I love the picture of this star when I imagine the shepherds just watching over their flock at night, what they heard with this great choir that they heard that day announcing the good news of the Savior that would be born and probably a star in the sky. I love the story of the grandmother who shares that she was out looking at the stars with her little granddaughter one night, and she was naming the stars and the constellations before her grandmother or before her granddaughter, and the granddaughter looked up at her grandmother and she said, Grandma, if the bottom side of heaven is this beautiful, just think how wonderful the other side must be. You can just imagine. It's not only the stars that proclaim the glory of the Lord. Think about the snowflakes. I know we don't get a lot of snowflakes in Memphis, but I'm praying hard that we'll get some snow this year. Let it snow, let it snow, let it snow. The snowflakes, William Bentley, a scientist called Snowflake Bentley, he kept a journal and he also had 5,000 photographs of individual snowflakes. And he said that every snowflake of the 5,000, he recorded something unique and something beautiful that was different about each one of those snowflakes. I think of hummingbirds. Many of you are hummingbird watchers. You don't watch over your flock, but you watch over what's called a charm. That's when all the hummingbirds come together. They're called a charm. These little birds are the lightest birds in the sky. They're anywhere from eight inches to two inches long. And folks, they can hover. How many of you love to watch them hover? They can hover. They can fly backwards, and they can even fly upside down. And the male birds love to impress their female girlfriends by diving out of the sky at over 60 miles per hour. How many of you know some things just never change? And I think not only is the glory of God revealed in creation, but the glory of God is revealed in people. I just love people. Because we're made in the, in the image of God. 
little things that we forget about, like looking into the eyes of another person and seeing the light of Christ in them. When you look into the face and the heart of another person, you remember that there are no ordinary mortals. We've been created by a God who has a heart, and we reflect that in so many ways by our humanity. I think of smiling and laughing as part of humanity. There's such a spirit of God when we smile and laugh, and that's one of the ways that we deal with our woes. I wanted to show you this precious couple. They're 101 years old, and they've been married 81 years, and they're still laughing. Somebody say amen. There's something special about a deep belly laugh. Just last week, Tanya and I were reminiscing about some funny things that one of our family members had said, and she kept me awake half the night. We were just laughing, and it's not just one of those little laughs. It's one of those deep belly laughs. Have you ever had one of those deep belly laughs where your whole body just jog? And it feels so good. And I'm reminded that God has put that there for a reason. And I'm never more alive than when I'm smiling and laughing, except when I'm crying. Sometimes we forget that the reality of a living God is expressed in us through feelings, through tears. I'm never more alive than when I'm crying and being able to express the fullness of emotion that I'm feeling, whether that be joy or sorrow, except that when I'm with another person and I'm bearing the burden that they carry. I don't know about you, but when I see somebody else's eyes wet with tears. It touches my heart. And that reminds us, brothers and sisters, that part of the gift of being human is being brought together in Christ. How many of you are grateful that you don't have to live this life by yourself? God's put special people, and sometimes life is boring because we forget that everything around us is a miracle. God is everywhere. He can be seen in the glory of His creation. He can be seen and experienced through the glory of relationships and people. And I am glad to be alive today. And music. What a gift this music has been today. There have been moments in my life through the years where I knew that God's presence was real, that there's something there in that moment in my life, something more. The first time I really remember experiencing this was when I was 12 years old. I had gone to a family funeral of someone who was sort of like a surrogate father to my brothers and I. My father was not yet in the kingdom, and this older man sort of took us under his wing. His name was Coach Newton, and Coach Newton was in his 80s, and he had gotten sick, and he passed away. And I remember going to what I remember as one of my first funerals, and I sat on the end of the church pew, and the choir broke out singing a congregational hymn, How Great Thou Art, a song that we all know. And all I can tell you is that there were just waves of liquid love that began from the top of my head that that rolled through my body. I call it liquid love because I don't know what else to call it. And it was literally just waves of that liquid love just began to permeate my body. And I remember thinking at 12 years old, there's something here that's more than I have ever felt before. There's something more than anything I've ever known before. I couldn't open my eyes. The glory of God was so strong but I could cry. Tears were coming down my 
12-year-old face, and my heart was being flooded with peace. Those kind of things remind us that God is everywhere, and that we don't need to live a boring, mundane life, that God could break in any time, and we should live with alive from our toes to our fingertips, standing in expectation of how God can break in to our lives. We are meant, brothers and sisters in Christ, to be brushed by the glory of God. The shepherds sure were. They were out doing what they always did. They were watching over the flock by night. And the scripture says, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. God broke into their normal existence with a an awe experience. They were filled with great fear, and the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all of the people. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying glory to God in the highest. My mother had us in church from my earliest memory, and the older I get, There are times I experience God, but I don't know how to explain it. But I can tell you, there's some moments in all of our lives where the only thing you can say is surely the presence of the Lord is in this place. We are made for God's presence. We are made for an experience with God that is not just up here, it's in here. And it's out here where every part of us is alive in Jesus Christ. I'm so awed when I think of how God sent the angels to show up to the shepherds. Who first praised God when Christ was born? The angels did. A multitude of angels, the scripture says. Now, I don't know exactly what a multitude is. It might be hundreds, it might be thousands, it might be tens of thousands, it might be millions. But we need to pay attention to the fact that the angels showed up because the angels have insight that you and I do not have. These angels that showed up singing the praises of God over the manger, they had never sinned. These angels required no Savior. They had not fallen. They needed no redeemer and they needed no atoning blood. But they praised Jesus. You might say, Brother Chris, why are the angels so full of praise? Because they know who Jesus is. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. The scripture says, by Jesus, by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. They praise Jesus because they know who he is. They praise him because Jesus is before all things. And in Jesus, all things hold together. The very universe holds together, the scripture says, by the word of his power. They praise him not only for who he is, but they praise Jesus for what he's doing. You see, the angels have an inside connection, and they know about you and me. They know the misery. 
of a life without forgiveness, without peace, without hope, without love. They know of the woe that sin has brought into creation. They know the brokenness of our lives individually, as families, and as nations. They know what we experience, but they also know the blessings of heaven and the open door that we have, that God has provided for us for salvation. We don't have to live a life separated from God. We can live a life in relationship to God, and that is the miracle of Christmas. They know these angels, that it is Christ and Him alone that can transform our tales of woe into stories of wow. I thank God for His special miracle grace that redeems us. And let me say it another way. God has a way of redeeming our life stories. No matter how broken, sinful, or hurt we are, God knows how to make us whole. And they know that nothing can diminish the glory of God. C.S. Lewis said, A man can no more diminish God's glory by refusing to worship Him than a lunatic can put out the sun by scribbling the word darkness on the walls of his cell. Angels praise Him for who He is and for what He's done, for what He's doing, and for a whole lot more things. And I want to finish this morning by simply asking a question. Why shepherds? Why did the Father choose the shepherds to reveal this supernatural message of salvation to? And I think the first thing that we need to look at is that He did it to show us for whom Jesus came. He came for sinners and outcasts. Now, I know we don't see shepherds every day or hardly ever, but if you want to know a little bit about shepherds, you'll know that they were outcasts. They didn't have very good reputations. They were dishonest. They were unclean. Most of them could not be trusted. And yet the very first audience that received the good news were the shepherds. Reminds me of the heart of our Savior. Jesus says, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Please hear this word today. Jesus says, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. You say, well, Brother Chris, the righteous. I'm not talking there about people trying to be better and trying to be on some track of self-improvement in their lives. The righteous are those who are poor in spirit, who come with a knowledge and awareness of the brokenness of their sinful lives. They know they have a tale of woe that will never be transformed without the grace of God. And they come poor in spirit. And folks, you can be up in social standing. You can have a position all the way at the top of the ladder, but you can still be out. And Jesus Christ came for those who knew they needed him, whether they were up and out or whether they were down and out, because he is no respecter of persons. Amen? The second reason that he came is to show us 
that God can't be put in a box. Isn't it interesting that Jesus didn't come to the religious leaders first? That's who we might expect that Jesus would give this announcement to. I think it may be because there's nobody better, nobody better at putting God in a box than people who are religious. People who think they're just a cut above everybody else. God hasn't called us to be religious. He's called us to be in a living, loving relationship with Him that's pulsating with life. There's nobody that tries harder to put God in a box and tries to conform God to our image than religious people. Philip Yancey in his book, Rumors of Another World, suggests that it's the religious who reduce God to a set of propositions, to a set of divine formulas, and to seal tight theologies. And when we do that, we end up with a God who can never surprise us, never overwhelm us, never astonish us, and never transcend us. And I like the shepherds, because they knew they needed God. And they didn't try and tell God what he couldn't do. We should try, we should never try, and tell God what he can't do. We should never try to keep God in a box. These shepherds took God's word at face value, and the Bible says they hurried off to see the child. Don't miss this. Sometimes we miss the miracle of Christmas because we analyze it to death. The way to encounter God is not to talk too much. It's not to think too much. And it's not to analyze too much. It's to pay attention to the God who reveals himself through creation, through other people, and through the powerful message of his word, which is eternal and living and has the power to save us. My prayer this Christmas for those of you who are bored, I pray that you will be blessed this Christmas with a wow experience with an awe experience. For those of you who've lost your perception, your life could be characterized as having everything, yet you don't feel alive on the inside. I pray that God will surprise you by some kind of visitation this Christmas that will remind you that you're not only alive physically, but you're alive spiritually in Jesus Christ. Don't miss the miracle. Don't overthink but simply pay attention and ask the Lord for eyes that see and that feel his heart. Will you pray with me? Gracious Father, forgive us for the times that we do not recognize our need for you. And I also pray, Lord, that you would forgive us for working sometimes without even knowing it, to put you in a box. 
Lord, you are God and we are not. And we pray that as we live out the rest of Advent, nearing Christmas Day, that you would open our eyes and our heart again. And that we would simply say and feel the power of the word, wow. Wow. And we pray all of this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen.